that the Word of God would come alive. You know, in uh, I was thinking the other day is that, you know, my family grew up, they were church-growing uh, folks, and we grew up in Boston, uh, in a little bit, not Boston, Mass., but Boston, Ontario. It's like a stop sign, and that's about it. But, uh, but I, I, I grew up and went to church right away, you know, and so, you know, I think I wasn't even seven days old. I was still warm, you know, and still blue and still had like the muffin head or whatever, right straight into church, and that was my first Sunday. And had gone ever since, and I was thinking, I'm 46 now, and I was like, how many church services I've been in, you know? Like, how many, you know, sermons have I sat? How many times has the Word of God been preached? And it's, and it's for sure over 2,000, right? If you start figuring 52 a year and start doing the math, you know? And, and that you think, how many times have I sat in and listened to the Word of God preach? How many of those messages do I remember? I'm thinking, you know what? I think, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's probably half a dozen, maybe if I really extend it, 20 or 30, you know, like if you think about it, you know, there's a lot of times I've sat it and it's been good, but uh, if it wasn't directly applicable, then it seemed lost. I would go home and I was like, that was nice, but I have no idea, you know, what I was talking about. And what I love about Jesus is that he, when he walked and talked with people, is that he grabbed whatever was available. I mean, that he didn't just kind of float, you know, you see the picture, you know, that Jesus' feet is not floating. He's got his hands over this, a little burning heart. Jesus floated around dressed in white, you know. Jesus didn't do that. He walked, he, he hung out with the disciples, you know, and he taught. And, and it says that, you know, that he was friends with notorious criminals, prostitutes, you know, um, uh, people of every level of society wanted to be around him. It wasn't because he just floated and wore white all the time. It was, there was a likableness. There was, there was, there was God within, you know, that incarnate in him that made him applicable to people that, that wanted to hear. And when he shared and taught about the kingdom of God is that people just drew in because he would use like a, a fig tree or grab some grains and, you know, as he would write in the sand, he would spit on people, spit and make mud and wipe it on people's eyes. I mean, you know, he used things that people could relate to during that time. And I think, you know, what I, my desire, my prayer is always that the word of God would come alive is that we would set and whether there was one thing that, that we sat in and that we walked with, even if it made you mad a little bit, I, I pray that during the week that it would dig in, like a sliver in your brain, just all week long, you'd be just like, I remember that word, you know, that word comes in, and how do I apply that to my life, you know? Because I think that's important. It's not enough for us just to have a great biblical knowledge, you know, he's walking our, our heads this big with theology and God ideas, where, oh, that was beautiful. Well, how does it apply to my life as a husband, as a father? in business, in, in life, you know, as, as we walk through. And, and so I want to pray, first of all, that, that we would ask God to breathe life into his word because he's the one that, that breathes life and makes it come alive to us, you know. And, and that's what amazingly is God takes his word and speaks different things to different people. It's right where we're at. He puts in and, and, and sharpens the laser focus of that and makes it come alive to us. And so let's pray right now and just ask that God would breathe life into his word. So, Father, thank you for the opportunity. It's an amazing opportunity just to open your word and that, Lord, we don't just read it like we're reading a novel or a, or a newspaper. God, this is your word come alive to us, your, your principles, your instruction, your life-giving message to us. Let it come alive. Holy Spirit, breathe life into it. Let it speak to the area of our life that needs to be spoken to. Let it bring healing where there is brokenness. Let it, let it bring life where there is death. Lord, it, let it bring inspiration where all hope is gone. Father, thank you for the power of your living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so how many of you guys were with us last week? Let me see your hands here. How many remember what I was talking about last week? 
Somebody shouted out, the mud, you know. <laughs> you remember the mud, you know. The, they wanted to bring in mud. I even thought of like, I wonder if I should come in like with mud on my face, but that would just like make a mess here. We talked about before, because we were talking about moment, momentum. I can't even say it. First day with the new tongue. Momentum. And the reason I started talking about, you know, uh, last week about getting unstuck is because the key thing was if you don't get unstuck, you, are, you can't even get to that place. When you start talking, okay, let's get momentum. Let's start moving forward in our lives, family, and in God. Let's start making, you know, let's see progress. But if you're just buried up to your eyes, you're like, uh, help, hands still up over here. I can't even get moving. I'm just paralyzed. I can't move. And so we talked about getting unstuck. Remember we talked about shedding excess weight? Okay. Nod. Let me see your teeth. Yeah, I love to see teeth. If you don't have any teeth, just slap your, gentr- your dentures at me or something. <laughs> I just like seeing teeth. I like to see happy people in church. Just, just call me crazy. So get rid of excess. There's a little review here, okay? So get rid of excess weight, throwing off things that hinder us and slow us down. Second of all, Stop looking at the mud. Thank you. Somebody listening. <laughs> Stop looking at the mud. Stop looking at your situation, gazing at your navel and being like, oh, I'm so stuck. I'm so, I'm dead. I'm so, you know, I'm so broken. Stop looking at where you are and start lifting your eyes to look at the solution. Third is, especially for guys, yeah, call for a tow. 911. <laughs> God, I need, a, I need a jump start. I need a tow. And, and remember, I was picking on the guys a little bit because we never ask for help. Don't ask for directions. We don't ask for help. Asking for that toe, God, I need help. Or within our church family or our family saying, hey, I need some help here. Can you help me? And fourth and most importantly part of it, change your course of direction. Thank you. Take a different road. So don't go back to it and fall back into that hole again. Because, I mean, sometimes, you know, let's be honest in church. We get a lot of that. We're like, how are things going? Well, I was doing good, and I fell back into it. And you're like, next week you're seeing everybody. No, Bob, how's it going? It's awesome. I fell into that hole again. You're like, oh, poor brother. And then next week, we were like, how's it going? And I fell into that. Well, don't, after a while, don't you just want to like. Okay, sorry, that was my inner pastor voice coming out. You guys are laughing means that I said it out loud. Come on, don't you want, because we're like, yeah, it's that, that we, we get, we all fall into this, myself included, and fall back into those where God clearly, clearly in the word of God says, you know what, take a different road. Don't try to overcome saying, I'm going to overcome it this time. No, I can't overcome it. You could have, if you could have done it by yourself, you would have done it already. We need God to say, God says, just take a different path. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus. So that's your review from last week. And today we want to move on and talk uh, a little bit further and kind of take it the next step and talking about what is God's momentum in our life. I'm going to need to grab one of these stands here. Like Mark says, both hands free. What's an Italian say with his hands in his pockets? Nothing. Yeah, so I was like, I need a hand free. I got to have both hands going. And Mark, see, I wore a watch tonight. Yeah, just in pity of the poor children's ministry people that are helping and watching your kids right now. You know what it means when a preacher wears a watch? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'm t- I'm t- I'm t- that's totally true. I'm not even joking about that. I mean, I won't even look at realize this is on my, my wrist until I go to bed tonight. Going, oh, what's that thing? <laughs> Never look at it. So anyway, it's there, but I won't look at it again. Okay, so if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. thought we were getting a fire call. I was hoping so. I always prayed. I said, God, don't let us have a fire on Sunday morning. It would be embarrassing to run right out of church. I got a fire, guys. 
Yeah. No, no, no fires tonight. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read the Word of God here, and we're going to apply His purposes, His principles. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to share some very practical things, but I'm going to ask you to directly apply it to your life. Ephesians 3.14, it says this. Paul says, I press on towards the goal. There's the part that I want to narrow in on. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And when you read that, I want you to underline that. I encourage you, write in your Bible. Circle, underline it, square it, write it in yellow, you know, write in your Bible. Is it Make that pop out, because that's what it's meant to. It's not sort of like, I press on. It's sort of like I'm moving on or I'm passing. It, it means to pursue. So it's supposed to be emphasis. Whatever it takes to emphasize it there, he is saying there, I pursue. I'm going after something. I am aggressively pursuing something in my life, which is the, up, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so what I want to ask you is, what are you pressing into? What are you pursuing? If, if press in is a pursuit, and we were meant to pursue, I mean, God hardwired us to be in pursuit. We are never meant to coast. When we're in coast, when we're in a holding pattern, when we're not going anywhere, we are frustrated as human beings. Come on. Does anyone really like to run on the treadmill? I mean, not just for the exercise, but I mean, you run, I hate running on treadmill because you're like, chan, 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 and you look and you're not going any, anywhere. It says you've done like three kilometers, but you get off and you're running and running and exerting energy, but you haven't really gone anywhere. That's frustrating to the hardwiring within us. God designed us to be moving forward, and that's what Paul says, I press in towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and momentum is all about that pressing in. It's pushing into something that, that is, is really important. Momentum is forward motion towards a goal or objective, moving something forward. So when I talk about momentum, you know, is, is, I mean this specifically in our, in our personal life goals, our job or our career. This can be applicable to our deep, deeper, more meaningful relationships. Do we have momentum in our, in our prayer life? You say, well, what do you mean by that? I, I don't know. Because I can't put words in your mouth and you can't explain it for me. But when you have momentum, you know it. When you don't have momentum in it, it's sort of like you're just praying and your prayer goes up and hits the ceiling. And you're just, when you don't have momentum in your, in, your, in, your, in your devotion time, when your devotion time is, if you're falling asleep, then God's probably falling asleep too. Do you know what I mean? You're like, you're opening, well, I'll just read this. And you're, you know, if you're in that place, then you're, then you're looking and it, you know, it is, momentum is moving something forward. I feel like I'm moving in it. When you, when you have momentum in a relationship, you can't always describe what that is. I can't describe exactly the momentum that Melanie and I have in our relationship, but we're moving forward. Sometimes three steps back, sometimes over here, you know, sometimes, you know, in the, in the ditch, over in the rhubarb. Hang on, we're off the road, you know, and back into the road again. But we're moving forward. There's momentum in it, and that's what I want to talk about tonight is that forward motion in our life. Because if you read the Bible, the Bible is all about some specific stories of people's lives, individuals, families, nations of people, where God brings them to a place of stuckness or lack of momentum or a place of slavery and brings them into the promised land or brings them from where they were into a better place, into something better, into a new dimension. So whatever he brings them out of the, whether it was Bethesda Bob laying beside the pool for years and years and years waiting for, you know, something to happen, is that, you know, brought him from a place of sickness into healing where he was, you know, whole and, and, and into a new place. And that's what God wants to do in our life. 
That's why talking about momentum is so important. So when I talk about momentum, I got I to gotta pull out the farmer's best friend if I lost it here. Mark's, Mark, that's for your toilet. Don't forget. Best, don't let Mark forget so he can fix that. We got parts and stuff all up here. You can't believe. Ah. Farmer's best friend right here. Yeah. Starting fluid or ether. This stuff is amazing. And you know, the, the reason it's so amazing is because sometimes when we try to, how many have ever tried to get something started, whether it's been your lawnmower, whether it's been the weed eater, whether it's been, you know, that old tractor, you know, or your car you're trying to turn it and nothing's happening. How many have ever had that? At least once. Come on. Isn't that frustrating? I mean, you're just turning, and you just get all the time, and then, you know you're in trouble, and starts going, you're talking to it, come on, baby, come on, baby, come on. You're repping the dash. You know, you just come on, especially if it's like cold and you're like parked at the end of Lime Ridge Mall after hours. You're, come on, baby. You know, you're talking to it. You're praying. Sometimes you get mad. You know, probably the guys that go out, you kick the head. Why is this thing not starting? We try everything. When you know what is an amazing thing? This starter fluid. I remember um, a wonderful brother-in-law gave me a car one time because I needed to have a car. It was an old Volkswagen Scirocco. You know, you got to be old to remember the Scirocco's. But it had been sitting for years in his garage. He gave, says, we can put this on the road. You can have it. Here's some transportation. So we're trying to get it going, and we're turning it. Nothing will start. We're just turning. It won't start at all. And so I was like, hey, I got just the ticket for this. So I go out, and I get the starter fluid. And I was like, okay, this has been sitting for a long time, so let's give it a... A, a good dose of it. So we open up the hood, and I'd spray that right down into the carburetor. Because I don't do anything halfway. I mean, it's like half the can. Okay, stand back. Fire it up. So they start it up in, in Dick's garage, of course, you know. And it goes bang, you know. And it starts, and I'm, hooray! And then it goes backfire, and it catches on fire. <laughs> so, of course, what every person does, I run for the fire extinguisher because I'm the firefighter. Ronnie runs over to get water because he's Ronnie. <laughs> and the other person with us, who I think was Brandon Goodfellow, runs over, grabs a handful of dirt, and throws it down the carburetor and puts a fire out. <laughs> Moral of the story is that car never started ever again. We pushed it out to the road and sold it to the first sucker that came by. <laughs> but starter fluid is sometimes we need to fire this into our life, and sometimes, you know, what, when we're talking about that is, is the starter fluid is God's Word, is applying principles to get something moving. And so, so, sometimes we need that. And some of you are already that turn. You're like, oh, I'm going to spray that into my hubby's coffee in the morning, you know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I know a few people that could use a little bit of starter fluid to get things going. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, yeah, I, I can spray a little bit of that. Well, don't poison anybody. But here, what I'm talking about is, is when we apply God's Word to our life, when we begin to pray, the Bible says pray without ceasing. It's not praying as a last resort. Well, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to pray. Really? We go to God in prayer and say, God, I need to, I need to start on this. This is not moving. This is not progressing forward. I know that you want to have momentum in this area. So, God, I need you to, just, I need you to actually fire this up and get this going. So, we're going to talk about that, about what momentum is. Uh, it, one specific story, but before we do... Um, how many of you guys, let me ask you this question. I know we're a couple weeks from uh, already into the new year, so I don't know how, how long you're supposed to say, you know, Happy New Year for, probably until like Chinese New Year. But how many of you guys made New Year's resolutions? Yeah. So, my New Year's resolution, and Lindsay, 
and the rest of you are doing amazing, so <laughs> my New Year's resolution was, you know, uh, I don't know whether you made them, you know, some people have different resolutions, get fit, find a new job, lose weight, join the gym. I mean, gym memberships soar in January, February. People are like, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to look like just this amazing, and then it drops off. But like sometimes by spring or summer, you're like, forget it. You never see the gym. So, but the thing is, you know, if you started those things, you know, and my resolution was I was going to like no more chocolate. I'm just going to try it. I, I don't think I can do the sugar free, but I'm going to do sugar less. So sugar out of the coffee, the whole thing. And then I was like doing really good. So I walked over to Dick and Liz's and Dick had this giant thing of chocolate, this big, oh, he opens it up. He's like, just have one. So I have one. And I was like, I broke that New Year's. I was like, one's okay. That's still like less, right? But then my hand kept reaching in. I'm like, hmm, that's really good. And I'm standing there. My hand kept reaching in, reaching in. I was like, stop. No, I can't stop. And it kept reaching in. I was like, don't, don't, stop it. And you're arguing with yourself, and there's a bunch of people looking at you. No, and kept stuffing it in my mouth. I couldn't stop eating the chocolate until I had like walk out of the room. I broke that New Year's resolution already, and I don't know whether you made one or you've, the reason you haven't said that because you're like, I give up on New Year's resolution. Maybe Mark preached don't make New Year's resolutions. <laughs> Probably, you know. But what I'm talking about here is more than a New Year's resolution. What, I, what I'm asking you to think about and consider is more than just a wish, more than just like, well, I think I should do that, or I think I would like to be more like that. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about momentum, is not just a positive thinking it's not just a wish or a New Year's resolution. Momentum is something that comes from God. But there is a part that we have to play. There's a key part that we have to play in our life. And so there's God's part and there's our part. And so I want to read a, uh, a story from 1 Samuel chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, whether your paper version or electro electronic or your, your paper version, um, turn there and, and let's look at one story, a really small story. An almost insignificant story. You'd flip past and you're reading the, the, the big, you know, the big red letter stories, the big, you know, the important ones, and you'd go buy this one. But every story is written in God's word for a reason. Everything that God wrote in his Bible, you know, the Bible, the word of God for us is written for a reason. Don't you know that? Sometimes we look at it. I was talking to the librarian in uh, Wanda today and, and Jarvis, and she was like, there's a lot of blood and guts and fighting and wars, and, you know, the Old Testament's got a lot of stuff. I said, yeah, but in that, it's principles. In those stories, even if you're just reading, God didn't just throw some of these things in for entertainment, saying, well, okay, now the, the, the begats and the begats and the begats, and, you know, and the genealogy's getting a little boring, so I'll throw in a little, little blood and mayhem, and then we'll go back to the, you know, more, you know, stories here. Is there's things that are written for a reason. I said, every story has a reason. There's a reason God recorded it so that we could learn from it and say, there's some principles that I could apply to my life. There's some things that God did then, accurately, historically during that time, but there's some things that if we apply them to our life now, God can make come alive to us. So here's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Um, it's about Jonathan. It's about, this is about Saul's son. So there's not much written about Jonathan, other than we knew he, he loved David, and him and David were covenant brothers, and they made a covenant, but not much is written about his life. But here's one story that tells us a little bit about the heart of Jonathan here. 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. It says this, Let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord for he can win a battle whether he has many warriors or a few. And so, you know, let me put this in context for a second here. So listen to this. Is, 
as, as in many times here, here is Saul and his army arrayed against the, in the Philistines. You say, well, okay, it's a little standoff going on here. Well, let me put this in context a little bit. On the Philistine side, it says that they had 6,000 chariots. And I brought my spear not because that applies at all, other than it's easier to listen to someone who's waving a spear in your face. See, it works, doesn't it? So the Philistine, understand the odds here for a second here, is there were more than 6,000 charioteers and a horse. And then it says of the army, it didn't even have a number. It says that they're of the sand of the sea. So it was a, a, a huge army without numbers. So it was an, a, a pitch battle that they were completely outnumbered. It said Saul in that, in that chapter was there with the 600 men. I'm like, 600 versus the sands of the sea? Hello, this is a stacked odds. I mean, you know, this is, this is incredible odds here. And, and yet, in this, something incredible happened. And not only was the odds stacked against, but it's the, the 600 men besides, uh, you know, King uh, Saul and Jonathan is everyone came with pitchforks and shovels because they've been under the oppression of the Philistines for many years, and the Philistines would not allow them to have blacksmiths. So they, wouldn't, they couldn't have any spears or, or swords or anything. So they came with their pitchforks and their shovels. Or, okay, let's make battle against this million-man army of the Philistines. And so this is where the odds. This is a stage that is set here. And this, this story is important for a reason here because there's one guy in here that doesn't get the story. He doesn't look at it and see that the odds are stacked again. Here's one guy that is not a realist. It's Jonathan. Come on, let's look at it for a sec. When there's, there's one person that thinks outside the box like that, they're like, that person's not a realist, or they're a dreamer, or they're out there. But look at what this guy Jonathan does. And, and I want to look at some important, just four important things that he does that are key to momentum in our life. So not only was this a historical battle that really happened, but there's some keys and principles if we apply to our life can help us to gain momentum, to keep momentum, and, and keep moving things forward in our life. And so Jonathan as we read in verse 6 there, he gets this idea. He dreams up this thing going, I've got an idea. You know what? Said to his armor bearer, let's go over. Let's take on the army. Let's go pick a fight. And they're like, really? Let's stop. And sometimes you read through and they're like, that's nice, God. And we just read through to the next. Let's get to Psalms and Proverbs, you know. Let's go pick a fight against an overwhelming army. The key thing is what I think is important, which is amazing in this, is that momentum always begins with a bold, audacious idea. Always. Everything that God does in the Bible always begins with a bold, audacious idea. It always begins with an unreasonable odds. It always begins with something that's so improbable, so unreasonable, that only God can make it happen, doesn't it? How many times is that written, story after story in the Bible? See, when he said that, he was backed by the confidence that was in God, not in himself. For he said of the Philistines, see, he didn't just come out saying, you know, he didn't, he didn't have, you know, he, he didn't, you know, have any understanding or he was crazy, is that Jonathan said, these are Philistines. They are outside of God's promise. Remember, he called them uncircumcised. Well, that wasn't just make a name. It wasn't just a derogatory slang. He said, these are people outside of God's covenant. So they're nothing. They're outside of God's protection, and we, even though we're only 600, are in God's protection, in His covenant, and we have God with us. If God before us, who can be against us? How many believe that promise? Come on, we say it, we sing it, we believe it, we put it on a t-shirt, but do we really believe it? 
to really walk it out. I mean, live it out. Because if we truly believe that, would we not do things differently sometimes? Would we not walk with a sense of confidence and ability in our God? Would we not have uh, an unreasonable faith? Would we not have an expectation of God intervening when is necessary in our life? If God be for us, then who can be against us? When you get that thing in the mail, that, that medical report coming in, when you get that, that message from the bank saying, this is, you've got negative this and this, when you get that pink slip saying you're going to be laid off, then you take and say, if God be for us, who can be against us? When you look at unreasonable things, and there's so much that needs to be done at Tai 2, it's overwhelming. You're never going to dent the, the, the bottom of the pile. There's never, you're ne- and you look at the overwhelming, and you're lo- I remember when we were in Africa, we're just like, there's so much need, I just feel buried. I felt drowning every day, drowning in the need. But then I remembered that promise, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, Jonathan knew that. Jonathan had that inside him right there that was based in the covenant that he knew with God. I like what Edwin Lewis Cole said. He says, prayer in private results in boldness in public. Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Do we have this boldness? Now, I'm not saying this boldness is based in our confidence, in ourself, our intellectual ability, you know, our, our upbringing, where we are, you know, what we're driving, how we live, how we're dressed. This boldness is something that comes inside from God. This says a righteous or as bold as a lion. Are you as bold as a lion? <laughs> we, need to, we need to have, to be honest, and I'm trying to encourage you here, we need to have, speaking to myself here, we need to have more boldness in our life. We need to have more boldness and expectancy of what God is going to do when we step out in that. And I want to ask you, what is, if you knew you could not fail, if you knew that you could not fail this year, what would you do for God? What would your big, bold, audacious idea be? What would it be? I want you to think about that. Actually, I want you to take it. If you've got a pen, I want you to write it on your hand. This is my bold, audacious idea. 195. What's 195? 195 is the amount of countries that are, you know, without Taiwan that are on the planet. Before I go, before whatever, Jesus comes back or I step into glory, I want to visit every single planet, every single culture group and preach the gospel, share the life of Jesus Christ with that group. And in my own, that looks impossible. You know how many flight tickets that is? How many air miles that is? You look at the logistics and you're just like, ah. That's my big, bold, audacious idea. What's yours? What are you going to do with your life? How are you going to spend what God has given to you? The most precious commodity you have is your time, is your life. How are you going to spend it? How are you going to spend it for God? What is going to be written on your tombstone? What's going to be written on your tombstone? Say, well, he's a good person. Jamie, well, he made it. Just made it in, just squeaked in the pearly gates, just made it. Do you want that to be written? You know, well, he was a nice person. She was great. She was all right. <laughs> Imagine that in your tombstone. She was okay. She loved to shop. <laughs> well, how about write it now? How about write your tombstone now? Write your, uh, what is going to be written about your life? How about you write it? How about instead of letting other people judge and frame and narrow and make it small and containerize and make it in, how about you write what's going to be written on your tombstone? Sorry for getting shouting, getting excited here, but man, I can see something in this. 
How about you write it for yourself? How about you say, this is what's going to be written about a life that is given over to Jesus Christ. This is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm writing my own tombstone. How many know what I'm talking about here? Come on, you need to write your own tombstone. Don't let somebody else write it. Bunch of relatives you didn't even invite to your wedding that don't even like you. Come on, write your own. Write what's going to do with, uh, you know, what you want to do with your life. What is your bold, audacious idea? And if you have a pen, write it on your hand. I know your mom, I always told you don't write it on your hand, it'll poison you, but sorry, moms. Write it on your hand. Yep, you got, we'll, we'll leave time. We'll, can you uh, cue the, uh, the elevator music right now? Stay tuned. No, I really want you to write this down. If you have a piece of paper, write it down. If you have a, a pen or a marker, write it down. Write something. Think something right now. Say, you're just so mean. I'm just so, I'm glad Mark just has you this for this week and then you're gone because you're mean. You make me think in church. I got to work. I got to do something. Yeah. I, mean, I know. What's your bold audacious? I know I'm pushing buttons. I know I'm pressing you a little bit. You know, I was the, that was a nice version of me last week. I'm pressing a little bit this week. You're putting pressure on me. Yeah, I'm putting pressure on you. What is your bold, audacious idea? Because don't you think that God has a plan for you? Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, and 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans of good and not of evil, plans to give you hope and a future. That's what God says about you. And us, we're like, eh, I just want to get by, pay my taxes, as long as I meet my mortgage payments, as long as I make, you know, pay off my school bill. Hello? God says, I've got a plan for you up here, and so I want you to think about that. What is your bold, audacious idea? Momentum always begins with a bold, audacious idea. Number two, as we read on here, verses 1 to 3, it says, let's go across to the Philistines. And then when it says in a couple spots here, actually verse, uh, verse 1, it says, but Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. The second important principle is this, don't talk about it, just do it. <laughs> okay, we should just go for coffee now. <laughs> Mark, we better come up. Let's just let's go right to the let's go right to the, the brownies. Don't just talk about it. Here he is getting all mean on me. But yeah, I have to because I've been a part of church for 46 and a half years of my life. Is we're big on talking about stuff. We're big on talking about stuff. We're going to take the world. We're going to change our community. We're, going to, we're big about making plans. We talk it up, talk it up, talk it up. And little action sometimes comes behind it. How about, let's do like Jonathan. Let's just do it and let others talk about it. Let's just begin to do what God said to do and put it into action instead of talking it up and trying to live up to that expectation. Does that make sense? Isn't that wise? That we should just begin, Jonathan, I love in the principle, just begin to do. He says, you know what, we're going to put this into action. And if God's in it, we're going to have a great breakthrough. And if God's not in it, <laughs> we're so dead. Isn't it? It's true in the story. But he didn't just talk it up, didn't walk through the camp and says, you know, Jonathan, I am son of the king. I have this great idea. We are going to attack the Philistines. You know, just going to run at them. Don't just talk, put into action. James 1.22 says this, and you guys know this from the book of James. Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. I wish we could just stop at this point and say, okay, all of us, including myself, run out of here and just do what you know to do right now. 
sometimes we're like, okay, I just want to know more. I want more instruction. Well, how about we just start putting into action what we already know? Let's start doing. Let's start be, be doers of the Word of God. So it begins with a bold, audacious idea, it be, and, and it starts and just takes action. Jonathan just went and did it. He just went and, and, and attacked. And the third thing is, is that in verse 6, he said, so we read that already, Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or a few. He anticipated God's intervention. He says, if we step out and they say to us, here's the story, you know, come up to us. And not only is he stepping out to go, he's not just running into the battle. He has to climb a cliff. (laughs) He picks the worst spot. I mean, Jonathan has no idea of military strategy. He, didn't, he, he has no idea. Here's a cliff coming out. He said, let's go and climb the cliff, and we'll attack them. If they say, come up and get us, that's a sign from God, and we'll go and do it. He had a, a, an expectation. He had a hope and a promise that God was going to intervene. He believed that when he began to step out in this is that God was going to step in on his behalf. Because, again, he said, if God steps in, God can win this. He doesn't need us. He's God. He would like to use us. He would like to use us as instruments to be hands and feet. But God doesn't need us. He wants to use us, though. He anticipated God's intervention. So he came out, and they began to climb. And they began to climb and fight. So he didn't just talk. He took action. He anticipated God's intervention and help. Do we? Do we what? Do we anticipate God's intervention and help in our life? Of course we do. Everyone does. Everyone here in this place, people that are sitting at uh, Fisherville Tavern, people that are sitting at Tim Hortons and all over, everybody expects God to come in somewhere. Scratch and win, just, I wish, you know, just something, you know, God will just uh, help me win the lottery, or God will just fix my marriage, or God, they have a, like an open expectation, but there's, but Jonathan was like, no, no, there's, there's a timeline to this. God's going to intervene now in my life. Not this general, you know, Incense sprinkling, God will show up sometime. God is going to intervene in my life. God cares and knows about exactly what is happening, and I'm believing God to intervene. I love that, what he had in them. He expected God to show up. And when we talk about momentum, the fourth thing that really is key here is realize that it will be hard. Whatever you set your goal to do, whatever we start moving in momentum, there's going to be a fight to it. Brandon's getting married. Very short, very shortly. Woohoo! Yeah. How many days, hours, minutes? <laughs> He's got it right down to working days. But you know what? Is you are you are stepping into one of the greatest relationships the closest relationships that we can know on planet Earth. And that's an amazing step that you're going to take. And that is valuable and so worth it. But, I, but all of us here would encourage you and tell you the truth is, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to fight for it. Oh, those that are married, come on. You're going to have to fight for it. It doesn't just happen naturally. You're going to have to say, this is valuable. You're going to have to come back. And have to, if I have to keep saying, I'm sorry again, you know, and, and coming back, I'm going to have to fight for this because this is valuable and this is important. I value this, so I'm going to keep pressing in towards this. Realizing in momentum is that it's going to be hard. Jonathan had to climb and fight uphill. In the battle scenario there, he had to climb a cliff, which is hard enough alone, no safety rope, just his armor bearer behind him. And they're climbing up this cliff, and the Philistines are coming down towards him, you know, 
And so he had to climb and fight, climb and fight. And after about 20 of them, it says in the Bible, after there was about 20 of them that they took down, so which I think is amazing. You can climb, fight, and keep, you know, coming at, you know. And after that, you know, uh, is, is all of a sudden God starts to step in. It's for, you know, James 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life for which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is those who remain steadfast under adversity. Blessed are those who climb uphill even when everybody else sits down to quit. Blessed are those that keep believing when people stop believing. Blessed are those that keep going back to the hospital when everyone else has given up. Blessed are those that keep going back to ask for forgiveness when your family, you know, when you have family issues and it's just so contentious, you want to walk away, but you can't because it's family. You know what I'm talking about? There's a perseverance that we need to talk about in, in, in life that's important. Realizing that it will be hard. I want to read a quote from someone here. It says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of other, uh, of other people drown out your own dreams and your inner voice. And most importantly, have the courage to follow your heart and your intuition. Steve Jobs. Realize that it will be hard. Realize that there is going to be an uphill. And I'm not just saying, okay, this is going to be a life. is You know, that, that whole martyr is going to be hard. Life is, but there's going to be a challenge. And that's that, you know, we need to rise to the challenge. When we see a stairs in an elevator, take the stairs. Start preparing yourself. Take the stairs. I'm going to take the stairs because I want to build up endurance. I want to be stronger. I want to be faster. I want to, you know, I, I, I want to build up that kind of endurance here, realizing that the things that are valuable, I, I don't know about you. Some of you have lived longer, done way more than me in my life, but I, but I found that the things that are valuable in my life to fight for. They were hard. Things that you believe in, you didn't give up on. If you're going through college and university, sometimes you felt like exam time. You're just quitting. I'm just going back to work at the gas station. I'm just going to be a Walmart greeter. You're a Walmart greeter. I'm sorry. But you know, you feel like giving up. It's hard, you know, and you're looking at sometimes, and you know, there's relationships and life things and job. You're trying to move forward with a new business. And you're like, it's, it's hard. I just want to give up. But you know what? He didn't give up. And so look what happened in this. Verse 15, then God steps in. Then God steps in. So as Jonathan just stepped out and did his little thing, what he did was in pretty insignificant, really. I mean, it was brave and it was courageous. Don't get me wrong. But in, in the scope of what he was doing is insignificant. It was like the widow's might. When Jesus stood beside the offering and she threw in two pennies, the disciples were like, that's nothing. God says, actually, that's everything. That's everything. She gave all that she had. Jonathan put it all on the line. In his killing of 20, when there was like several hundred thousand, it's nothing. It didn't turn the tide at all. But in verse 15, it says that Jonathan did his little thing, and you and I did our little thing. And we do our little thing, and hey, I'm just picking on you guys because you shared the announcement. I'm just, but we all step out and do our little, do what we can do, whatever we're gifted in. Building, sharing, loving kids. Then God steps in. Verse 15, then suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And then an earthquake struck and everybody was terrified. Then God showed up in a huge, huge way. 
I mean, just everyone, not even those that are in the close proximity, everybody just basically became terrified, started running away, and then God was like, this isn't enough, this is getting exciting already, earthquake! So they're already terrified, they're already, uh, you know, we're already being overrun, and there's two guys, <laughs> Jonathan and his armor bearer, and his armor bearer is probably like this high, I don't know. That's all there was. There's two guys in the Philistine, thousands of armies, 6,000 charioteers, and all the army that was of the sands of the sea got up and ran away throwing their weapons and ran away in fear because God stepped in. Because God stepped in. We do have a part to play. But the thing that I want to wrap up by talking about here is to know is that who won the battle? Was it Jonathan and his armor bearer that walked back and walked into camp? We're like, the victory, they're doing the victory, they're doing their victory move. We're like, cool, look who look who routed the Philistines today. Did anyone have any doubt in mind that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer? No. You see, when we have true momentum in our life, true momentum, God momentum in our life, everyone recognizes that that's all God. Everyone recognizes, oh, that was not Mark. I don't know how Mark did that at all, but it did something. You know, that was all God. Don't you love when that happens? When, when, when you shrinks down and they don't even recognize you in it, you're just off the side. They're like, that was all God. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. That was all God. And we just did our little part. I love when God begins to do that. Let me close with one just very short story about uh, a mother and father that they were trying to teach their uh, their young son, how to, you know, to, 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 to love music and fall in love with music. And so um, is during that, the, the time of the, the 40s to the 60s, one of the, the, the piano maestros, his name was Paderewski, and uh, he was uh, Polish, and, uh, you know, and he was playing in concerts. They brought their son to the concert, and they're like, if we have him fall in love with music, he will love to play music, he'll want to practice, you know, and, and music will be part of his life, and they want him to have it. So they brought him to this concert. And as they sat down in the concert, they looked down, and they're all ready, and everyone's all seven. They looked down, and they're like, where's little Johnny? I don't know if his name is little Johnny, but they looked down, and like every little toddler, he had disappeared. Hey, where's Tommy? I thought he was with you. No. Jack. Tommy? the one that played most amazing in that story picture there? Was it the little boy playing twinkle, twinkle, little star? Or was it the maestro that sat down lovingly and played with him? I love the analogy of that story, you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's supposedly based on a true story, but again, it's, it's hard to always tell the exact scope of it. But I love the analogy in it because the analogy is so true in our lives. As we sit down in our lives and be honest, the best that we come up with sometimes is twinkle, twinkle, little star. And the maestro sits down, he puts his loving arms around us and says, just keep playing. But God, all I know is twinkle, twinkle, and I know only the first four notes. And God says, keep playing. 
don't stop. Watch this. And he makes something beautiful through us. That's God's momentum right there. When he plays through us, the instrument doesn't, we don't worship any instrument. Oh, look at that guitar on the wall. Look at the, it's not the guitar. It's not the instrument. It's about the person who plays through the instrument to make the music beautiful. That's God's momentum in our life. Can we pray right now? Father, we just simply ask you tonight, because it's amazing when we look at this, the momentum begins with the humility to accept that we cannot do it. Momentum actually begins with us bowing our knee, giving over our life and allowing you to play through us. Lord, if we're willing to submit our life to you, that, Lord, you will make something incredible through our life, that you will take our twinkle, twinkle little star and make it into a beautiful concert. So, Father, we just, as a family, we just come together right now. You know where every one of us are in our lives. You know what's going on in the inside of us, whether we're smiling or whether we're not. You know what's going on in our homes and family, our private life. God, we just surrender that to you right now in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you would begin to play through something. That, Lord, you would take our small steps and bring about a great victory. Father, we thank you that it begins with you. We just surrender to you right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your momentum, Lord. Lord, when you begin to do this in us, may it be all about you. For you receive all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.